If you do not have an outline, raise your hand, please. We'll make sure that you get one. And just keep it up till they come to you. In earlier centuries of the Christian church, it was common for a while to write at the beginning of a book an apology. Now, an apology was not saying, I'm sorry for this book. An apology properly means a defense. And so they would write a reason, an explanation for the book. Um, You'll see that, for example, at the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan writes an apology for the book. He's not saying he's sorry. He's explaining his reasons for the book and so on. Well, I feel like I need to do something like that. Um, Three times now recently, we have been looking at the subject of child rearing. And we don't do this, obviously, every Sunday. We don't do it even every month um, because there are many in the congregation who are beyond that. Uh, Like me, it's too late. Um, but at the same time, all of us are involved in some degree or another with family. And even apart from that, for the younger parents, there is so much wonderful and valuable and necessary instruction in God's Word that we do feel it's important. Pastor Greg and Pastor Boyd and I have talked this over uh, as to how much attention can I give to this. And uh, we have agreed that this just is so important that Uh, We need to do it, and we ask the indulgence of the rest of the congregation. You take from it as you are able to learn from it and use it with your own families. But, of course, we're directing our attention this morning, especially toward the younger families who still have children at home. Ephesians chapter 6. We have dealt with the subject two other times previously. You remember... And we began with sort of laying the foundation with Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. And we looked at the subject of depravity as is taught in the scriptures that there is a bent towards sin and a bent away from God in the heart of every one of us. We're born that way. We're born in sin. And as that applies to children and parenting in particular, we saw then that the parent's responsibility, first and foremost, is to stand between their children and their own self-destruction. They will think in their hearts that they will find their highest pleasure and their highest satisfaction and contentment in sin away from God. They'll think that. And they'll be convinced of it. And they may even fight you over it. And our responsibility as parents is to use every means that God has given us to curb that bent towards sin and against God and stand in the way between them and their own self-destruction. And so we saw in our second time together more of a a positive gospel uh, uh, direction, and that is simply our responsibility as parents, first of all, first of all, above everything else, is to see our children come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that consideration ought to govern every decision that we make and everything that we do with our children in directing the home. We cannot guarantee the results. These are in God's sovereign hands. But we can give ourselves faithfully to every means that God has given us 
to the salvation of our children. Now this morning what we'll be doing is looking at this next means that God has given us, and that is not simply the gospel, but along with that gospel, teaching and training our children in matters of obedience. And then we'll also look, as you see in your outline, at the matter of the, the rod, as the scriptures call it. And we'll try to give some helpful instruction in that. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you will help us now as we look in your word. Give us wisdom. The wisdom of life to which you have redeemed us. And we ask that you'll give us your spirit and give us success. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin with a an understanding, first of all, and I think we can do this rather, rather quickly, of the basic responsibilities of children, as we have it here in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. And let's look at a couple of these phrases to help us understand, first of all, before we get going. Number one, notice, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. That is to say, this is a religious duty. Obey your parents out of the conviction that this is your obligation before God. Obey your parents out of the conviction that this is God's will for you. Or simply obey your parents out of a high regard for the Lord Jesus. Now what this means then for parents, the command here is directed to children, but what this means to parents then is that we are to teach our children this, that is, they are not only to obey dad and mom, but they are to obey dad and mom as a, an obligation before God. This is what God expects of you. And we are to teach them that. This is God's will for them. Their number one priority, of course, is to love God. But under that, if they love God, they will obey dad and mom. Obey your parents in the Lord. Next, honor your father and mother, which is the first, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice that explanation that he gives. For this is right. That is, why do you obey dad and mom? Well, on one level, you obey dad and mom to avoid spanking. But it goes deeper than that. You obey dad and mom because it's right. And again, when it comes, while this command is to the children, what this means for the parents is we teach them that, that obey because it's the right thing to do. It's not just because I'm bigger and stronger and whip you. Obey because it's right. God expects this of you. So, and then the next verse, verse 3, that it may go well with you, command with a promise, as he quotes Exodus here. The point there is simply God lays a particular stress on this obligation. God takes this very seriously. This is the first command of promise. In fact, if you look through the Decalogue, it's the only command with promise. God lays
place particular stress on this. This is the duty of children to obey and honor their parents. So what Paul has done here in these first three verses here is elevates obedience and honor to parents to a much higher level. And what a, what a great lesson this is for children, teaching them the religious nature of obedience. We do this. You must obey dad and mom because this is what God has commanded for you. It is better for you. There are benefits in it for you. You'll avoid spankings for, for doing this. But above all else, it's right. This is what God expects. And so we instill in our young minds, as well as we are able, that we obey God because He expects it. And the results will be our own blessing. Now, a couple of more expressions that I've only glanced over so far. Number one, obedience, or obey. Children, obey your parents. Now, what is obedience? Does it mean to do what you're told when it's convenient? Do what you're told when you agree. Do what you're told when you feel like it. Do what you're told when you feel good. It's none of that. It's just do what you're told. Obey your parents. Now, I stress that. It should be very obvious, and it is. But I stress that because a whole lot passes for obedience these days. Obedience to parents in particular, that just isn't. And we'll be seeing some more of that in just a minute. But this really is not a difficult concept. To obey is to do what they are told, when they are told to do it, how they are told to do it. And we must teach them that this is what God expects. Whether they feel like it or not, whether they're sick or healthy, whether they're in a good mood or a bad mood, obedience is the requirement. Children, obey your parents. And then next, this next concept takes it further. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother. Now that's a much broader concept. And it goes much deeper. Honor your father and mother has to do with an attitude of respect and reverence. In fact, the Apostle Paul takes this command and applies it in 1 Timothy 5 to older adults and honoring their parents in their old age by supporting them financially. I like that. That's part of honoring your parents. But you see the point. It's a broad concept. An attitude of reverence, respect, honor your parents. So the kid is told to sit down. I don't want to sit down. Sit down. I don't want to sit down. About that time already in my home, I'd have been sitting. One way or another. I don't want to sit down. Sit down. Well, finally you grab the child and you put him in his chair. The kid says, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing on the inside. And that should just never in a Christian home. At least should never go unchecked. Now these are basics. And I, I, I've said each one of them now about six times over just to make the point that it's very obvious. And I, I hope it's obvious and I, I hope you're clear on it. These are absolutes because they're inflexible requirements. These are rules that can never be broken. 
Not one instance of disobedience, not one instance of dishonor should ever go unchecked. I don't say that everyone has to receive a spanking and all of that. We'll, we'll do some more with some of those things in a little bit. But not one instance of disobedience, not one instance of dishonor should ever go unchecked. And you know how they'll do it. Stiffening up, rebellion, back-talking, sassing, rolling your eyes when you tell them to do something. Ugh. Not once. Not once. These were capital offenses in my home when I was a kid. You roll your eyes at your mother, you'll, you'll pick yourself up in the middle of next week. Don't you dare sash your mother. That's the basic requirements. And these are, these are laid down, and it's just really a brilliant thing, isn't it? You have these two. You've got everything, don't you? You've got it all. You can't save them. Of course, we have to bring in the gospel and all that. But in terms of, of training the child, in terms of having a, a peaceful home and a successful home, Obey your parents. Honor your parents. you got these. Everything else is in place. And this must be first, and it must be inflexible. This is what parents must require of their children. We don't allow one instance of infractions ever to go unchecked. Honor your mother and father. Now, some applications from all of this. I've tried to say it as many times as I can. I've run out of them. So let's move on to some applications. Some common mistakes that parents make. I hate to do this in the negative, but, but I, I thought this would be the most helpful. Here's just some observations of some mistakes that parents make that I've seen over the years in regards to these commands. Number one, not curbing an attitude problem. Allowing your child to conform externally, but with a defiant attitude. That's all they're wrong. You're really not helping the child at all. And so you tell the child who's three or four years old, go to your room. Oh, I'm going to my room. Go to your room. Oh, I'm going to my room. And so you pick him up and you carry him to the room and put him in there and you think you've won. You haven't won at all. Not curbing an attitude problem is breeding further problems that are going to come back and haunt you. You put that attitude that has not been corrected in a 14-year-old. Put it in a 16-year-old. See what you get. It must be curbed. And not curbing an attitude problem is a huge mistake. Even Christian parents have made too often. Allowing the child to obey externally, but not conforming internally as well. I had children in our house when our kids were younger. Families parents bring their kids over to play and whatnot and come over to get them and say, let's go now. I don't want to go. Hmm. You know, it's hard for me to bite my tongue. With a temperament like mine, you know, it's just kind of tough to bite my tongue sometimes. But this is a huge mistake. And what's so bad about it is not only wrong, you're hurting your family, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting the child. You're not teaching him self-discipline. Got to chew, got to curb the attitude problems. When our kids were little, I had a little phrase that I used. I would ask the kids once in a while, do you need a tune-up? And they didn't like the sound of that. Do you need a tune-up? You know when things are just, it's not really, really serious, but it's, it's edging, and then you see it again, and then you see it again. And once in a while, I'll give it a, a little uh, warning. Jim, careful. You'll get a tune-up soon. 
And then, you know, you give them the tune-up, and they're surprised that it came. But you know what? The tune-up tunes up. And it really helps. We'll deal with more of that in a little bit. But it's even true when the kids are very small as well. They can argue. They can stiffen up. Mom can force them because she's bigger and stronger. But if you don't deal with the attitude of honoring mother and father, not dealing with the defiance, you're not helping. No disrespect. No sassing of the parents. You'll do no kids no favor by allowing that. And so at the table, for example, when my kids are little, you will eat your peas and you will like them. And if you don't like them, you'll at least make us think you like them. Or you'll eat some more and you'll like that too. Deal with the attitude. Deal with the attitude. And you deal with it now. Number two, waiting too long to begin discipline. Waiting too long to begin discipline. Oh, he's too young. If you were older, we wouldn't allow that. But, but he's too young. Now, I always figure that as soon as a child can recognize that he can be defiant, as soon as he can recognize that he can be defiant, he can recognize that he shouldn't. All he has to do is be able to do this much math. This action produces this unhappy result. I shouldn't do it. Begin discipline soon enough. An 18-month-old should be 18 months and not acting like nine months still. And so on. I remember our first challenge with this in our house when our kids were little. Gina was, I don't remember exactly the age. You can figure out the age as I go through this. You'll see. But she's at this age where she's just not quite walking but pulling herself up, you know, and she's pulling herself up next to one of these cabinets. We have some knickknacks on the rack. And she pulls herself up and she's looking at these things and she's just enamored with it. And she starts to reach out for it. I'm, we're standing across the room watching. And I thought, I'm not just going to go pull her away. We're, we're going to do this. So she reaches out for it. No, no. And she does this. She goes. And she's studying the situation. She reaches again. And this was the first time, so I was patient. No, no. And she does this again. Third time, I think it was the third time, she reaches for it. And I was all over. She thought the great day of God's wrath had come. And I don't remember if it was later that day or the next day, something like that. She goes to the, the same place, pulls herself up, looks at that same knick-knack. She goes, nah, 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 nah. I thought, yes, round one goes to dad. <laughs> don't wait too long to begin discipline. Another mistake. Bribing children to get obedience. I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. One time we had some children over our house playing with our kids. And the parents came over to pick them up and take them home. So let's go now. I don't want to go now. Let's go now. we got to go. I don't want to go. And it's back and forth and back and forth. And that's all I can do not to talk. And finally the mother says, if you go now, we'll sell me an ice cream cone on the way home. And I thought of all the stupid things to do. You've just taught the kid. You've rewarded him for disobedience. You've taught them there's value in defying mom. Bribing children to get obedience is not what you're after. You're wanting them to learn to obey because it's right. And if nothing else, obey because it's in their best interest. Teach 
them to obey and never reward them for disobedience. Number four, allowing exceptions to obedience. Oh, he's tired. Oh, he's shy. Well, he's not feeling good today. And make excuse, there's an exception for obedience because of some other kind of circumstance. The essence of discipline is to learn to do what is right, even when it's not convenient. The children must learn that. They just have to learn it. We all have to learn that. And we've got to know that the rest of our lives. And life will start while it's early because you don't want to start when they're teenagers. So teach them early and help them in all of life. We had a, an incident of that. I remember when Gina was little. Kim took her to run some errands and things. And she stopped at the dry cleaners to pick up some clothes. And the lady looked across the counter and started talking to Gina and said, hi, little girl, making conversation with her. And, and Gina goes, and so Kim says, say hi to the lady. My can't, my shy. Well, now it's not a matter of shy, it's a matter of obedience. Say hi to the lady. And, uh, well, long story short, Gina learned that lesson. Obedience is not required only when it's convenient, only when they agree, only when they feel like it. But it, there should be no exceptions. Number five, not demanding absolute obedience. We taught our children, delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, you'll hear it. Clean your room. Go clean your room. And a little while later, I told you to clean your room. Well, I was gonna... But you didn't. Absolute obedience. Obedience as a principle. You obey without explanation. Or another one they'll use at this point. You tell them to do something. Why? I had several good answers for that. But one of them was never, never to sit down and explain my rationale for why this should be done at this point in time or whatever. I taught my kids all of that stuff and as a, as a way of life, we educated them, teaching them why we do what we do and all of that. But when it came to the moment of command, it's not the time to sit down and reason with them. You do this because I said so. That's why. Obedience as an absolute. Another mistake. Number six. Hollering to get obedience. Go to your room. Go to your room. Go to your room. I said go to your room. And finally they, you scared them and so they go to your room. And, and you just taught them that they don't have to obey until you sound mean. And they don't learn the authority of the parent's word. Your word ought to be your highest authority. That's what you're aiming at with your children. When they hear mom and dad give a command, they do it. I remember we had a little example of this when I was when Jimmy was young. I was another point where I was really happy. I was talking to one of the deacons at church. We're in the center aisle, of the church auditorium afterwards, and Jimmy was running around. We we didn't mind our kids having fun at church and all of that, but this was a little excessive. And so while I'm t I was talking to this this man in the, the middle aisle, I saw Jimmy over there. Just just was too much. So I just went. And I pointed to the chair. Boom, he's up on the chair. And the deacon stops. He says, man, Fred, that's really impressive. <laughs> Pointing. <laughs> well, you know, what short of that?
that is what, is what you want. That is what you want, right? Your word, your will, is what they must learn to obey. Another problem, number seven, avoiding difficulties. What I mean by that is that often parents have noticed that certain situations are touchy with certain children, and so it becomes difficult, and so they just avoid those problems. We had this with, with Gina. There were certain situations where we could be recognized that it was just difficult. She's our strong-willed child. And we, Gina and I were talking one night. We, we often talked about the kids and kept up and everything. We were talking one evening, and we it dawns on us that we both had been sort of circumventing those problems just so we don't have to mess with it. I thought, we're not helping her at all. So then I started pressing those situations and making them happen so we could deal with them and help. Don't avoid difficulties. If she has, he or she has a difficulty, help them deal with it. And don't allow small faults to go unchecked. My dad said once when I was, I think, newly married, Maybe it was when we were just about to have our children. I don't know. But we have a conversation about children and parents. And he, he simply made the statement, I determined when my children were born, they were going to obey. Period. And I thought, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, that's just what God commanded for them. And why would I want to strive for anything less than that? My children are going to obey. We will not have one instance of disobedience, dishonor, parents, it goes unchecked. And as a result, you have a wonderfully more happy home. All right. Now, with all of that in the back background, let's look at this even more touchy subject of the rod. If ever there is a subject of Scripture that's under attack, it's this one. But we're going to take time to look through the verses. Let's go back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to look at a number of these passages that I have. You can have them listed on your outline. Yes. Let's take the time to read each of these verses. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be made a willing party to his death. Notice the implication. Chapter 20 and verse 30. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil. Beatings purge the inmost being. And let's look over to the next at chapter 22, verse 15, which we saw a couple of, or a few weeks ago. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 23, verses 13 and 14. 
Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 29, verse 15. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Discipline your uh, verse 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your souls. All right, with these verses in mind, and we'll refer back to some of them, but trying to keep these verses in mind, let's look at these questions I have for you. Number one, why did God include these verses in his word? Does he or does he not expect corporal punishment to be part of childbearing? Well, the answer is obvious. This is God's instruction to parents. This is a word from the creator of the home on how the home is best to function. Proverbs in particular is what we call inspired wisdom from God. And in this respect now, specifically, it's wisdom in regard to the home and specifically regard to parenting. And what God says is that spanking is not only allowable, it is right. It is not only right, it is commanded. And in fact, neglect of the rod is specifically forbidden. Now, as I say, I realize I haven't just come in from Mars. I know this is absolutely flat against everything you hear in society today. And at this point, we've got to settle it. And parents, this is very important. You've got to settle it in your minds. Who knows better how to raise your child? God or the secular psychiatrist? We've got to settle in our mind what God says is right. What God says is right, and anything contrary to it is wrong. We've got to settle that. And we come to this with that conviction. Number two. Why does God command parents to use corporal punishment? What does he say is its value and its benefit? Well, again, look at chapter 20 and verse 30. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. Chapter 23, verse 13. Do not withhold punishment from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Verse 14, punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 29, verse 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom. The child left to himself disgraces his mother. So the question here is, why does God command parents to use corporal punishment? What's the value? What's the benefit? Answer, it cleanses away evil. It imparts wisdom. It drives away foolishness. It saves his soul from death. It imparts wisdom. That is to say, it effects change. It brings peace. It brings parental delight. All of these are taught in Proverbs. His point in all of this is simply to say, corporal punishment, spanking, works. It's effective in curbing the natural rebellion of the child's heart. Now, again, as I've said before, I don't quite understand how God has wired us this way, that certain force applied to the backside cleanses the, the heart and the mind and all of that, but there it is. It works. And that's God's point in these passages. He doesn't explain for us exactly how this cleanses the heart, but its effectiveness is self-evident and it's obvious.
Number three, according to these verses, why do children need the rod of correction? What is presupposed about children in all of this? Well, what's presupposed that we saw in our first time together, and that is the experienced reality, the original sin. Foolishness bound in the heart, an instinctive determination toward evil and away from God. And what God is saying here is this is one means. This isn't the only means. This is one means that we have at our disposal at correcting the children in this regard. It is, in a sense, a means of grace. Can we say that? The rod is a means of grace. Let me say something here. It's, again, it's, it's, it's contrary to society, but I think it's very important to keep in mind. And you might want to quibble with my terminology. I don't really care about that. But I think you'll understand the concept I'm trying to say. You'll hear it today said that you ought to be very careful not to break your child's will. When I think of that, I think their will is exactly what I want to break. Now, I don't, and the distinction I make is, I don't want to crush their spirit. I don't want to exasperate the child. But the will is exactly what needs to be broken. They need to learn. Dad and mom's will is what matters. And it must become subservient to that. And in a sense, our goal is to break the will but being very careful not to crush their spirit. And so there's the atmosphere of love that we talked about, the atmosphere of fun that we've talked about, and all of that. And all of this has to be interpreted and understood in that larger setting. Number four, contemporary secular psychologists will tell us that spanking is psychologically harmful to the child and teaches violence. What does God say? Well, Let's look at it this way. If Johnny bites Susie and we hit Johnny for it, what have we just taught him? That's the conundrum we're presented with today, right? And you're supposed to say, oh, we've taught him violence. What does God say? You spank him, you've taught him not to bite Susie. And it works. Anyone with any history with it knows it works. And it's, again, it's one of those places where we just have to be careful that we shape our mind by what God says and recognize that anything contrary to it is just flat wrong. God says the rod is useful and effective in driving away evil. Number five, what does God say are the results of neglecting the rod? Let's look at these. In chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. See that? You see the, the thinking? You neglect this, you are not helping your son. Don't say, don't say, well, I could never spank him. I love him too much. Don't say that. If you love him, you'll have his best interest in mind, not yours. Not your emotions. Chapter 23, verse 15. We need the, or verse, um, which one is it? 22, verse 15. While he's bound in the heart of the child, the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Um, verse 20, chapter 23, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. And we need this. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. We need that, don't we? 
It's tough. Nobody likes spanking a child. Nobody likes that. If you like it, you should never do it. But precisely because we have such a distaste for it, we're likely to avoid it when we shouldn't. And so this warning is given to those sensitive parents who may have a mistaken sense of compassion. He won't die. You'll hurt him, but you won't harm him. All right, next, number six. What does God say of the parent who neglects the use of the rod? Well, chapter 13, verse 24, he who spares the rod hates his son. Well, there it is. The parent is not acting in the best interest of the child, but then neglecting this. In fact, chapter 19, verse 18, you're a willing party to his death. Number seven. What reassurance does God give the weak-hearted parent in chapter 23, verses 13 and 14? Well, we've just seen that. He won't die. He'll save his soul from death. The point is that the hurt inflicted will not be harmful. It, in fact, will do him good. All right, number eight. We're not going to take time to turn to this passage. Do I have number eight on yours? Do I have them all? I remember wondering how much I should put. All right, yeah, number eight. In Hebrews 12, 1-11, the inspired writer cites Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, which has to do with discipline. And he makes applications of God disciplining his children and parents disciplining theirs. Now, what does this suggest in regard to the New Testament perspective on corporal punishment? Now, you follow my thinking there. There have been plenty of people, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. Here we have in the New Testament the same carried over. In the minds of the New Testament writers, there's been no change at all. Why would there be? This is not something that can be relegated to a bygone age. That's the point. And then, how would Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 apply here? Let's look at that. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, very familiar verses that I think very often are not understood rightly or fully. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. I think most times I've heard this verse quoted. It's interpreted in such a way as to looking for God's will and trusting Him in some mystical or mysterious way to show you what to do, and you trust the Lord in that sense. And I don't think it's at all what the verse has in mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? That means you follow divine directives and you don't trust your own mind against it. You don't reason against God's word, but you take God's word submissively, believing that that is not only right, but it is what is best. I don't lean on some secular psychologist's reasoning in this regard. I lean on God's word. That's the point here. And so I give myself unreservedly to following God's Word. And how would that apply here now? Well, God has given us this instruction regarding the use of the rod, and we must apply it then trustingly. All right. Let me give some practical suggestions then before we close. Number one, begin immediately. Begin immediately. Discipline your son while there is hope. And I'm not about to assign an age on this. 
that could be different with each child. But the point, I think, is to know is that as soon as that child can recognize that he is rebelling or defying you, he can learn that he shouldn't. One application of this would be let him cry. I remember when, I think it was Jimmy, uh, one night, put him to bed and he decided it wasn't time for bed. We went up to make sure everything's fine. He just decided it wasn't bedtime. He thought, oh well, here we go. So he cried, I think, for about an hour. Next night, he cried again. I think it was about 45 minutes. The next night, he cried again, and I think it was about a half hour. And pretty soon, put him to bed, there's no problem. I remember the same with, oh, it was Jimmy, uh, with uh, the church nursery. Uh, he'd been going to the nursery, and one day he decided that wasn't for him. And uh, he wailed. And we had a very thin wall between the nursery and the back door of the auditorium. And I told everybody that was my wife's kid, that wasn't mine. And he cried for the whole service. Well, what do you do? Well, he cried. Next Sunday we're there, he does it again. But it was only about 45 minutes. Next Sunday it was shorter, and pretty soon he's having fun in the nursery. You, you, you don't cater to it. Begin immediately. Number two, keep it in perspective. Keep it in perspective. That is to say, this is a God-appointed means of grace. We should be careful about it. Number three, don't abuse it. Don't abuse it. Ephesians 6, verse 4, don't exasperate your children. The punishment should always be commensurate with the crime. It should be consistent. There can be, of course, reprieves, and there can be mercy and all of that. But we shouldn't let them get by with things and then spank them for it when they think they can get by with it and so on. And then when we punish punish them, it should be commensurate with the crime. Well, we could expand on that for a long time. Number four, don't neglect it. Number five, when it is administered, do it well enough to accomplish the purpose. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13. Let's look at a couple of verses here. When it's administered, do it well enough to accomplish the purpose. Chapter 23, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. And then chapter 20 and verse 30. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. Now, this is, this is delicate, I understand. But the point here of the Proverbs is the discipline, when applied, must be done well enough for it to be effective. I know that there are some exceptionally rebellious children and spanking doesn't work as well and all of that. I understand all of that. But most every time when I've heard it, well, spanking doesn't work for her. Spanking doesn't work for him. I'll ask, how are you spanking? What are you using? And you use that little ruler or something like that. And you, oh, you mean that doesn't work? Oh, wow. Who thought? Pardon my sarcasm. And I don't want to go into more detail. I'll be glad to talk to you individually in that regard. But we've got to do it well enough for it to work. That's the point of it all. Um, Giving a little swat through the diaper isn't going to accomplish much. I would like to take time at this point to discuss what instruments should be used and all of that. That's going to have to be for another time.
I will say, that, though, let me just say this on that regard. I, I would really caution you against using your hand to spank your child. There are lots of reasons for that. One is you might harm the child. One slip, you hit him wrong, and you can harm him. You don't want that. I, I would caution anyone against using your hand. You don't want them afraid of your hand. You have lots of psychological reasons and all of that. There's a reason that the Scripture specifies the rod, but it has to be one that works well enough. All right. Number six, be consistent. Don't bring confusion to the child. And then number seven, don't use, and this year I'm going against lots of contemporary Christian parental counseling. Don't use your Bible as a club. In most of the books today that you read on child rearing and on discipline, and many of them, I'm not going to name them because they're very good otherwise, many of them, but in most of them, they will tell you that when it comes time for discipline, what you should be doing now is sitting down with your child and explain the gospel to them, tell them that they're sinners, and tell them that there's a Savior who's, who's come to save, and then you go spanking them. I would caution you against that entirely. I think you ought to give, you've heard me before, you ought to give your kids the gospel all the time. But you don't want the Bible used as a club. I would never have put, wanted to put that in my child's mind. I think they know what the infraction is. They know what it's coming for. That must be identified. They'll know it. Apply the spanking. Do the teaching at another moment. I'd be glad to talk to you about that at length if you'd like. But I think that's a pot potential mistake. All right, let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 15, a verse that we've looked at several times. Something of a final note here. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 22.15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And I think I said this before. I'll say it again in this context now that we've dealt with it. That ought to be massively encouraging to parents. This is a means that God has appointed and he has assured us. Whatever exceptions you want to think of, fine. He has assured us this is his means appointed to the good of our children. And we ought to see then that this is for their good. Keep in mind also what we've said before. All of this is in a context of overwhelming love. A context of a family that is filled with fun and all of that. And if you don't have all of that in place when you come to this, this is going to be a very limited value. But still, this is a part of what God has given us for training our children for Him. And we ought to keep in mind that if we train up a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here's what God has given us to accomplish that. And I think we ought to give ourselves to it with every diligence. Let me close with an illustration. When Jimmy was, I think, three and a half is what he was when he got his tonsils out. He was a little bit young. They don't usually do that at that point, at least. I don't know if they do now. But at that point, at least, they told us they don't usually do it till age four because they could grow back or something. And, but anyway, his was such a severe case. He had to have his tonsils and adenoids removed. We're out in the waiting room waiting, and uh, the doctor comes out, says everything is good, everything's fine. Someone came out of the recovery room, and we hear this wailing, wailing in there. And of course, we knew it was Jimmy. And your heart just sinks, and you go out for him. So finally, somebody came out. I said, I can help him if you let me go in. Oh, we don't let parents go in the recovery room. I can help him if you let me go in. Please, let me let me help him. All right. So they let me go in and put on a gown and everything, go in and wash up. And 
I go in, and Jimmy's lying there in the crib on his back, and he's just in absolute misery. He's just wailing. And by this time, you know how kids get. It gets worked up and gets worked up until it's finally just completely out of control. And, yeah, he's hurting, but he's wailing for a whole lot more than that right now. And he's just out of control wailing. Your heart just goes out. And you just So I go in there, and I rub his tummy and his chest. And, hey, buddy, Daddy's here now, so it'll be okay. He'll be okay. Try to comfort him. Ah, he's just wailing. I rub him a little bit more. Come on, buddy. It'll be all right. And then taking my time, and finally it's, all right, Jimmy, now calm down. Stop crying. And he's wailing, he's wailing, and then it's just a little bit more force. All right, now, Jim, you need to, you need to calm down. Stop crying. And I'm rubbing him, and finally I go, all right, now, that's enough. Stop it. And everybody in the recovery room looked at me like I was the devil, not even in disguise. All right, Jimmy, that's enough. Stop it. Just not yelling, but firm. And he lies in, lies in the crib, and he goes, <laughs> And within seconds, he's calmed down, he's hurting, still tearful, under control. Great illustration of the authority of the parents' word, right? And every one of those people looked at me like I was a devil on the way out. We've never seen anything like that. Establish your word as parents. You'll do the children a much greater favor. I would argue it anywhere. A disciplined child is a happy child know what the limits are, they're able to contain, and this is a means that God has given us then to training our children for Him. Young parents, um, if you'd like to talk more about this, I'd be glad to do it. I think this will be the last time for a good while that we do it in our Sunday morning service, but I'd be glad to talk further on this. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Our Father, we're grateful for what you've given us in Christ, and we're thankful that part of what you have given us in Him is instruction for our lives, for our lives as parents, instruction for our children, and Lord, we acknowledge that we need it, so we're grateful for it. We pray that you will help us, and again, we pray in particular for the young families of our church. Lord, bless them. Give them every needed wisdom. Give them every success with their children. May we see these children one by one claim for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.